Hello everyone. Before we start this podcast, I best just warn you, there was a little bit of effing and jeffing in this show. So uh, Mr. Torbs did use the F-bomb, I believe you call it these days, a couple of times, which I see as a sign of how relaxed he was with me. However, if you do have people who might find that offensive, or maybe young ears are in the house, then just be aware there will be a bit of effing and jeffing in this show. Right, over to my daughter. Welcome to my daddy's podcast, UK Cup. It's sponsored by his and my mummy's business called Deliciously Guilt Free. We are homeschooling. Enjoy the show. When I started doing this research in 2000, the conventional thinking was, you know, when I did Atkins as an experiment, what we used to call keto, the assumption was that I was going to die within days from a heart attack. I mean, I'm still waiting to have that heart attack. Um, Hopefully not too soon. (laughs) You're not old now. (laughs) Well, yeah. You get older, people start falling by the wayside. It gets a little (laughs) nerve wracking. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I know I'm well, laughing. My, uh, How cruel am I? Sorry. I, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, that's, but it's that's true. I mean, tragic. Yeah. Seven best friends from college, four of them are no longer with us. I mean, oh, wow. You know, uh, fit guys? Guys, yeah. Well, one of them was an alcoholic. So, right. He, although he was fit, uh, he struggled with alcohol his whole life. Uh, yeah. One, they, they all had different reasons for all of them, but they, they're making you a little nervous. Um, the, Keep it light, uh, Gary. Keep it light. Come on. Yeah, really. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so that's, you know, evil we evolved to eat. It's, it's, it's uh, or don't eat what we didn't evolve to eat is maybe a better way to think about it because we really don't know what we ate when during those yes. two million yeah. years. What I have learned over the past two years has been magnificent. You know, it's it's completely changed my life. Um, and so you're not going to die if you don't eat carbohydrates, but you will die if you don't eat fat and protein. The energy I have, the life I have that has changed so amazingly in a few years proves to me that what I'm eating is only doing me good. I, you know what? I'd love to meet them because... Um... They changed my life, basically. So I've lost now. I'm just a couple of... I'm about three pounds off losing five stone. Hello and welcome to UK Low Carb. This is your podcast. The podcast where we share the real-life stories and experiences of people like you and me. People who follow the low-carb or keto diet. So join me, Dan Grief, and my co-host each Friday to hear their story. And if you'd like to get involved, then please email me, dan at uklowcarb.com, or join our growing Facebook group, UK Low Carb. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts so that we can get the message out about the amazing benefits of the low-carb and keto lifestyle. Now, this podcast is sponsored by my business, Deliciously Guilt Free. Just use the code PODCAST and you can have 20% off your order. On with the show! Hi, welcome back to part two. Thank you so much for all the lovely messages I've received over the last few days about the first part of this double series with Gary Torbs. It seems that it's it's had quite a big impact and I'm really, really chuffed about that. So thank you so much. 
Um, as this is a Tuesday episode, it's normally a shorter one. However, it's about the same length as a normal Friday, so I'll keep my bit here shorter so you get to the good stuff with Gary Torbs in the moment. Just want to say, though, that this episode um, is the continuation of the conversation we had last time. So we now go into detail about veganism and you know the vegan movement and just what we think and what Gary thinks about that. Is it benign or is it a problem? Uh, is it even good for us? Who knows? So you'll find out what his views are on that. We then got to play Devil's Advocate, um, which is good fun. So I uh, kind of threw some statements at him and he had to bat them away. And then we ended with your questions. Um, and they were the ones that were put into the UK Low Carb Facebook group, which then I kind of took and, un- and then asked him. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for those. I hope you like the answers. Um, yeah, it was really fun to record, really enjoyed it. And if you want to be part of the conversation, just head over to UK Low Carb and you can be part of the chat afterwards and see what you thought about it all. Okay, right, I'll uh, stop jibber-jabbering and hand over now to Gary Torbs. I was going to ask you then about the next next kind of big craze that's happened in our countries, and that's veganism. Now, I read your article on The Observer and you gave a really good answer saying... Which I, which I loved. You didn't say, no, veganism is bad and keto is good. You said, well, based on the evidence and new diets and the lack of understanding, perhaps, it, you know, I would probably want to go with something that humans have been eating for millions of years rather than a, a new kind of change in our diets, which I thought was a very, it, it, did I quote you, well, paraphrase you kind of accurately there? If not, please correct me. No, no, that's good. I'm, I'm, you happy I, with that? I was delighted when I sound intelligent. <laughs> you don't have to try hard, Gary, believe me. Yeah. Um, but I've just got this. Um, so Dr. Ken Berry tweeted um, Ethan Brown, who's the CEO of Beyond Meat. And I will just kind of paraphrase this down because I've got his tweet in front of me from the video. I transcribed it. But he was saying effectively that we don't have to have the environmental impact of eating meat in the future. We just have to rethink our perspective on what, what meat is. And actually, he said, meat is a very simple thing. It comes down to um, amino acids, lipids, trace minerals and water. And if we can recreate these in another way, we can have the same level of protein we would in meat and it would be the same. And effectively, he was suggesting we should change our perception and think of that as being meat. What What do you think about that? Uh, and well, I had an essay in the Wall Street Journal this past weekend in which I said, uh, I'm skeptical for health and gustatory reasons. Mm. So it would be interesting. It's an assumption that um, that's all there is to the food matrix is the, you know, it's not any more than the sum of its parts. We could establish exactly what its parts are and recreate them in the laboratory or in a factory and we'll be fine. Um, How's that gone in the past, by the way, when we've tried to bring out margarine and, and seed oil and canola oil and, yeah, how's that gone? Yeah, well, that's that's the issue. So it, it does make me nervous. However, it seems, you know, uh, yeah, I live in, uh, so I live in Oakland, California, right on the border of Berkeley. We're about as liberal a uh, community as you could find in the world. And I can see my children eating lab-grown meat in 10 or 20 years. Um while dad is still, you know, a Luddite and <laughs> insists on eating actual animals. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, the question also is, so there's the ethical issues with eating meat. Uh, that's a personal issue that is, you know, everyone has to work out for themselves. Um, and then there are the environmental 
questions and I, I don't quite know what to make of those. So, you know, I'm of the school of thought that, that, that livestock agriculture is not the, probably not the horror it's made out to be in terms of greenhouse gases. And, um, but I'm skeptical of my beliefs because that's what I want to believe. So I don't know what to make of that. If it's true that the earth can sustain the population of 10 billion, all of them eating animals, two or three meals a day, then, you know, then we'll have to deal with that. Yeah, but on saying that, that's only one side of the argument in terms of the environment, because what about the soil um, depletion in the world? That is a massive problem from the fact that we don't have this cycle of crops and animals putting nutrients back into soil and artificial fertilizers. We can create more artificial fertilizers and chemicals (laughs) to solve that problem. And that's gone so well so far. (laughs) You're skeptical. You You really are. You're a skeptic. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, I just, I don't know. Well, I'm going to use the evolutionary questions. argument because I think uh, this is not scientific. And I would never pretend it is, but you know, I, I've actually done a little bit of math. Sorry, I was going to say maths then, but I realize you're American. So I'll take the S off because that's offensive math. And I've looked at the distance in terms of human evolution between you and me right now. But in fact, I thought 2 million years of human evolution, I translated that into distance, and that was about 5,000 miles between us right now. So if we did 2 million years between Cambridge and San Francisco, the whole of human history in that time. Now, I can't say a Paleolithic diet would be X, Y, Z. However, I do know for a fact that cereal crops and wheat has been a very recent introduction to our to our diets. And in terms of distance, it'd be about 26 miles away, which I worked out, that's Hayward, uh, away from San Francisco in terms of distance. Right. So from Cambridge all the way to, to pretty much Hayward, we've been not eating cereal crops. And then from the distance from Hayward to San Francisco, we started eating them. And I guess from one street block to another in San Francisco, we started eating, uh, you know, processed meats and all the rest of the processed food. So just in the view of history and then prehistory, we're talking about quite a very recent change, which I think is very suggestive that it's not the right food. And if you started putting a cat on a vegan diet after its journey from Cambridge to San Francisco at this late stage, it would die. And if you put a budgie on a steak diet, I imagine that would die. So it's interesting how as humans, we have this ability to assume we're not part of evolution and nature. I find that suspicious. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with you on all that. I mean, that's the basic idea here, which is that if we are out of sync with our environment, we're you know, we should avoid the foods that are new to human diets, brand new to human diets, that sugar and processed grains and, yeah, seed oils. And, you know, we will probably be healthier if we do that. And that's, that's you know, fundamentally what you're doing with low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Um, you go carnivore, you're doing it even more. Now, the because I, as a journalist, I get to talk to people on the other side, they'll say, well, it's not like the meat we're eating today is the same as the meat we used to be eating. You know, it's got chemicals and uh, hormones and, uh, you know, you name it, it's entirely different, which could be true, but it's still meat, whereas we weren't eating these other foods at all. So it's still a matter of degree versus a, you know, kind of black and white issue. It's, Yeah, the key with keto, this is a key point in all of this, is that you can go on these diets and see if you get healthier. Mm -hmm. 
You know, what people like Nina Teicholz and I have managed to do as journalists and then the research is involved, like David Ludwig at Harvard and Eric Westman and the Duke and the Steve Finney at UC Davis and Jeff Volek and the clinicians like David Unwin and, and you know, tens of thousands around the world is we've established that these diets will not kill you. When I started doing this research in 2000, the conventional thinking was, you know, when I did Atkins as an experiment, what we used to call keto, the assumption was that I was going to die within days from a heart attack. I mean, I'm still waiting to have that heart attack. Um, Hopefully not too now, soon. <laughs> You're not old now. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You get older, people start falling by the wayside. It gets a little nerve wracking. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know I'm laughing. My, How uh, cruel am I? Sorry. I, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, but it's true. I mean, my yeah. seven best friends from college, four of them are no longer with us. I mean, oh, wow. You know, uh, fit guys? Guys, yeah. Well, one of them was an alcoholic. So, right. He, although he was fit, uh, he struggled with alcohol his whole life. Uh, yeah. One, they, they all had different reasons for all of them, but they start making you a little nervous. Um, the, Keep it light, uh, and, Gary. Keep it light. Come on. Yeah, really. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so that's, you know, evil we evolved to eat. It's, it's, it's uh, or don't eat what we didn't evolve to eat is maybe a better way to think about it because we really don't know what we ate when during those yes, two million yeah. years during that 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 you know uh, British Air flight from Heathrow to uh, to SFO here in uh, San Francisco. Um, we don't know what we ate then. We only know what we ate since Hayward, and yeah. even then it was different for depending on longitude and latitude and where you were in the world and whether you had herds of buffalo that could keep you happy or you know yeah, at true. the farm. Um, so yeah, my theory is you know, don't eat what we didn't eat, and if you avoid those, you'll probably be doing pretty good, and and that can be tested, and you can test that on yourself. And when people do, they get healthier. So you can sort of leave all the hypotheses behind and just say, look, I eat this, you know, I'm, I'm healthier. My lipid profile is healthier. My weight is down. My blood pressure is under control. I can get off diabetes medications. I don't need a clinical trial to tell me that I've done a good thing. Yes. Yeah. You know? I totally agree. What you need is an informed doctor to reinforce that you've done a good thing. So you need a doctor who isn't trapped in the conventional, you know, contradiction strewn thinking yeah which is yeah the established the establishment thought at the moment which one day they'll listen back to this and say what are they talking about we've moved on from that now we've got a whole new set of ideas which is just as equally wrong or hopefully we've moved towards keto and it's right um hopefully although that will be seen over time as well now i just want to change gear here slightly gary because i'm going to play a little game with you now called devil's advocate and i'm going to get my sound effects department out in a moment i'm going to throw some devil's advocate statements at you and you've got to bat them back. Okay. Now, please don't at this point, judge me when I say these statements. Okay. I am acting. I'm a very good actor, which might mean you might be fooled into thinking I believe these things. I'm merely in the guise of somebody who does. Okay. Right. Devil's advocate. Okay, good. Right. The first one, a calorie is obviously a calorie. You were fooled then, weren't you? You thought that clearly I thought that. Okay. Gary, what do you think to that statement? Uh, yes, a calorie is a, clearly a calorie, but that's 
like saying a dollar is a dollar. Um, it, it's irrelevant to understanding the cause of obesity and what you have to do to lose your excess weight and get healthy. Excellent. The next one, fat people are clearly greedy. Wrong. Oh, go on, go on then. <laughs> Keeping it short. I don't do that well. That's just, you know, <laughs> what information do you have about fat? I mean, their fat cells are clearly greedy. We could, that's a good way to phrase it. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it. There's a fellow out there who has dedicated his life to explaining to everybody why I'm wrong, which I think is a waste of his time, and he probably does too. But um, he has a book out called, it's about obesity, and it's called The Hungry Brain, which is interesting because, again, the idea is that you've got this disorder, you've got fat tissue that is accumulated, all these excess calories. So a greedy is a good term for it. And one of the old time diet doctors referred to these as sort of greedy fat cells. So the, the brains aren't hungry, the fat cells are hungry. Why aren't we talking about greedy fat cells? So no, I don't think fat people are greedy, but we would have to ask why their fat cells are. I suppose one is saying that they are the victim, the other one's saying that they're the perpetrator. That's a very subtle Oh, they are the perpetrator, they are the victim of what their fat cells are doing or what yeah. their fat metabolism are doing. Maybe it's what their pancreas is doing, but they are, they, we, we've all been there, are victimized by that. And then the rest of it, and this is what Edwin Aswin was trying to argue in that book. If your fat cells are doing that to you, you're desperately trying to deal with that. And that's where all the hunger and dreams of food come in and everything else. Okay. So the next one then, saturated fat gives us heart disease. Also wrong. Um, conventional wisdom based on an idea that was derived in the 1950s and 1960s, saturated fat raises LDL cholesterol, was tested in numerous clinical trials in which they tried to demonstrate that if people eat less saturated fat and replace it with polyunsaturated fats or carbohydrates, they'll live longer. And they were never actually able to demonstrate that. Some of the studies showed people might live a little longer. Some of the studies showed people might live a little less long if they did that. Um, but by the time the 1980s came along, on the government in the United States had spent so much money testing this hypothesis that it became unacceptable to assume it wasn't true. And so many researchers had been invested in assuming it was true that they couldn't face the possibility that it might not be. And so it became public health doctrine. We started telling an entire nation to do that. And it's virtually impossible to back away from a belief system like that. Can I just ask, by the way, I've heard this somewhere else, so this could be completely wrong, but I, I was told once that, or I heard once, that Ansel Keys actually questioned it himself towards the end of his life, didn't he? Is that true or not? Uh, he did. I quoted him in... Uh, the Diet Delusion, I think it was 1986 and maybe a New York Times article where he said we really made too big of a deal about this cholesterol thing. Ooh, that's painful, isn't um, it? But having quoted him, I often wondered maybe the New York Times reporter misquoted him. Right. You know, having been on the other end of journalism articles, now I'm all too aware of how sloppy journalists can be. Uh, that was the closest I came to his belief system. But again, he might have also... Well, I don't know what he was thinking, but yeah, I quoted him in the book. Um, one of the things that was pointed out, uh, so uh, we won't be able to play a quick game of um, 
whatever you call this, if I go into long answers. So let's move no, on. No, no, I want to hear this. This is great. This is devil's advocate, but extra. Oh, devil's advocate. Oh, it's just, um, so the idea was, uh, the uh, hypothesis was saturated fat will give you heart disease, right? But if you're changing the saturated fat content of the diet, you'll change a lot of other things. So just like a drug test, if you assume that the diet intervention, low fat, low saturated fat diet is the equivalent of a drug intervention, you don't want to know if it just maybe prevents heart disease, you want to know if it's going to increase your risk of dying from other possibilities. So you want to know if you'll, if I, if I switch my diet, I want to know if I'm going to live longer. Like, frankly, from my experience, I'd rather get heart disease and cancer. So I don't want to trade off a diet that reduces heart disease risk with the complication that it increases my likelihood of getting cancer. So I want to know if I'm going to live longer. So the clinical trials, like I said, where you actually randomize subjects failed to do that. And one of the ways uh, we came around to believing that saturated fat was a problem was this massive observational study that Ansel Keys ran called the Seven Country Study. And there are all kinds of problems with the interpretation of the data that Nina Teicholz has covered wonderfully. Um, but one of the things I pointed out in my book is that the study results suggesting that saturated fat was a problem and polyunsaturated fats were the solution came out around 1971, 72. People who ate less saturated fat had less heart disease. That was the observation. But by 1980s, they started saying, well, maybe it's not just about heart disease. Maybe we should look at the link to longevity. Do people who eat less saturated fat live longer than people who don't? And the answer was, even in the seven country study, no, they don't. Mm. And then there were populations like Japan where they ate precious little saturated fat in the 1960s. It was still an incredibly impoverished country coming out of the, you know, the desolation of World War II and Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And then as they got more and more affluent, like populations tend to do, not exclusively, they ate more and more saturated fat and their longevity increased. Now, there's a lot of explanations for that, which is a problem with these kinds of observations. But the gist of it is, even if you just pay attention to the seven country study and you assume they knew how to do their statistical analyses, et cetera, and you assume their food gathering information was correct and all kinds of assumptions that probably are wrong, you still would end up with this conclusion that the people who ate saturated fat tended to live longer than the people who didn't. Well, that's even controversial now, isn't it? And it's so well established that saturated fat is bad that you say that you look like you're a crazy man. It's crazy that the evidence actually says the other way around. Yeah, no, you can't say something like that publicly. I mean, I can write it. And if I spend 10,000 words making a point that could be made in 200 people. But yeah, it's it's a problem. This is why all of science technically is about not embracing things as truth before you've rigorously, rigorously tested them. But in medicine and in particularly nutrition and chronic disease, people, they did. And once you do it, it's no getting off of it. Yeah. Okay. The, the final <clears throat> devil's advocate today is as follows. Women accumulate more fat because they eat too, uh, more than men do, especially in the third trimester of pregnancy and menopause. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, bonbons, <laughs> bonbons are a problem. High fat pickles during pregnancy, ice cream, <laughs> ice cream. And um, yeah, I, 
you know, again, I mean, they, this is the thing. They're clearly, this was the point that was made by obesity, German and Austrian obesity research in the 1920s and 1930s. We know that fat accumulation is regulated by hormones, very carefully regulated by hormones because it's integral to our survival. So if a woman gets pregnant, she has to accumulate fat and um, so that when the baby is born, she can nurse that baby even in a famine. And, uh, you know, when we go through puberty, men and women fatten differently. Men lose fat and gain muscle. Women gain fat in very specific places. Um, you know, we all have areas of our body that accumulate fat and areas that don't. It's got to be a local phenomenon as well as a hormonal phenomenon. And yet we have this theory that people get fat because they eat too much. Yeah. Anyway, you've been if you ask these where, other questions, ridiculous. you know, I keep, I'm always thinking of ways to get, if we just want to say, look, let's not have a theory of obesity. Let's have a theory of fat accumulation. Mm. So now I want a theory that explains, a hypothesis that explains not just whether I've eaten too much or not, but why, you know, I have a little too much fat here and no fat at all there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I got no fat on the back of my hands. Why is that? But the back of my thighs, not the same issue. What's controlling yeah. that? Clearly, how much I eat and exercise has nothing to do with it. Unless, yeah. I guess, maybe somebody thinks if I became a marathon runner, I'd lose the fat on the back of my thighs. I don't know. Yeah. You know what's really so, sad about all of that as well? When a few years ago, people started realizing you could be fat on the inside and thin on the outside, the answer wasn't, well, hang on a minute. This proves what we've been saying all along. Fat accumulation in different places is different in different people and whatever. But still, people have this idea of, well, I better start fasting more and, and cutting back on the, the caloric intake. And that's the answer they had, which is just, you know, crazy. Yeah, well, and again, it's they have a belief system and then you see what you need to see to support the belief system and you interpret it in a way that supports the belief system. And if you can't do that, you pretend you never saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And you move on. And yeah. that was just, yeah. that's just not what we're looking at. So it's not, a, it's not an issue. Now I've got a few questions for you, Gary. Um, these were put to me from a number of different sources, mostly from my Facebook group, UK low carb, but also uh, I was on this new app clubhouse. I recommend it. It's amazing. I'll share you a, a, an invitation if you wish. We got people talking all day long and sharing and there's a keto group. And I went in there yesterday and said, well, I'm talking to Gary Torbs and if you've got any questions to ask him. And so Judith did ask this question. She wants to start keto, but she's heard it's really expensive. Uh, any ideas where to go? And does it have to be expensive? Well, she could start keto with intermittent fasting. So we could cut the number of meals she's eating from three a day to two a day and take a couple of days for her to get over it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been so long since I've had carbohydrates as a major part of my diet, you know, that I was spending a lot of money on them. But let me give you an example. Let's say dinner, okay, you know, a little piece of fish and some green vegetables. Instead of fish, potatoes, and green vegetables, you have fish and green vegetables. That's keto, okay? Put some butter or olive oil on top of the green vegetables. It's even more keto. Um, lunch, you know, instead of eating a sandwich, uh, you know, with uh, processed meats and cheese and lettuce and mayonnaise and mustard, just eat the processed meats and mayonnaise, lettuce and mustard and skip the sandwich. That's effectively, that's a low-carb, high-fat keto lunch. You're just not eating the bread, not eating the potatoes. Um, 
you could still get by eating salad, just put more olive oil on it. And, you know, if you can get a hold of some fatty meat, eat that. Uh, skip breakfast. It's the reason, you know, carbs are the cheapest calories in the diet. Sugar is really the cheapest calories in the diet. That's one reason why they're everywhere and why, you know, we've, we tend to consume so much of it. But basically what you're doing is not eating those foods. So, yeah, you'll tend to spend a little more money on the foods you do eat, but it doesn't have to be that expensive. And and intermittent fasting, skipping breakfast or skipping even dinner, um, depending on which is easiest for you, is something that's now become quite common. I did it as an experiment four years ago, like the way I felt and kept doing it, just because I have more energy in the morning. Yeah. So all those things can be done. And um you know, I can guarantee that whatever more money you spend on food, you'll save it on healthcare costs down the line. Well, I can't guarantee it, but that's a quite that's likely a, Yeah, scenario. very good way of looking at it, isn't it? Okay, yeah. uh, Pete in my uh, Facebook group has said, with lifting the lid on various bad sciences, exposing the food industry, and indeed the farm industry to some extent, do you, Gary, feel like you have a target on you? Um, are, is there a danger that these multi-billion pound and dollar operations uh, might go for you professionally? or personally? Uh, you know, I was worried about this 12 years ago when I first published 13 years ago, The Diet Delusion. Um, but clearly they don't care. You know, the sugar industry in particular has done very well for itself, um, ignoring attacks against it. It's like basically when you've got a product that 90 some percentage of the world is addicted to, you know, you could pretty confidently um, ignore challenges. And if you take on the challengers with lawsuits or anything like that, you you take the risk of, of inflating their public health, public relations influence. So um, I don't worry about it. The other day, this Wall Street Journal editorial suggested that the, the headline was, you know, what if meat it can meat be the healthiest food or something like that. And suddenly I was worried about the, the vegetarian and vegan community coming after me. Um, they tend to be a little less, a little less restrained in their, their emotional responses to conflict. Well, no, I, I gave up and about five years ago, um, Robert Lustig of the University of California, San Francisco, showed me that the sugar industry sort of had an enemies list like Richard Nixon. And wow. he, was on, he was on it and I wasn't. Well, that's offensive, that was, isn't it? I was Ooh. kind of insulted. Yeah, it was like. Well, well that's the like, end of the podcast. We're going to get him on the show now because. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a real. He's, he's up there. He's a real threat. Yeah. Yes. I thought you were somebody. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, so did I. But Well, actually, the next question will cheer you up no end because Gillian has said. Would he like to come to dinner? Okay. Um, I cook keto. He's definitely on my list of ideal dinner party guests. Seriously, though, I'd love to know his eating and fasting regime. So what do you eat in a, in a day? What's your fasting? Well, you already said you just get breakfast, right? But what, what else do you eat? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, the um, the answer, Jillian, is yes. Um, actually, last time I was in the UK, which was uh, two or three years ago, I had wonderful dinners with... Um, keto people. It was like, they, coming back to San Francisco, I felt like uh, Cinderella, you know, returning after the ball. It was such a, like, geez, I really have to go home after these meals and these people. So <laughs> come back, Gary, you're more than welcome. Yeah. The, um, 
Yeah, I, I no longer eat breakfast. Um, that's been about three years. Um, lately, I've been having, there's a restaurant down the street from me that makes a chicken salad I like, although I have to admit that the reason I like their chicken salad is they cut up grapes and put it in it. And the more grapes they put in, the better it tastes. <laughs> um, ironic. Yeah, it's annoying, I, that, isn't it? But I'll eat that without, I actually break up pork rinds and put it into the chicken salad to add crunch. And... Uh, Snacks, I hate to, I gave up nuts a couple years ago for weird reasons. And I liked the way I felt better without eating a lot of nuts that I replaced them with pork rinds. So I tend to have pork rinds. Um, for snacks, when I, um, I need to feel better about it, I refer to them as chicharrones, the Mexican term, which makes it sound like an exotic foreign food <laughs> instead of something Atkins suggested we all eat 50 years ago. And dinner is, uh, well, I cook for my family, and uh, my wife is a mostly vegetarian who still keeps her carb intake low to, you know, so she could look as delightfully um, lean and athletic as she did 30 years ago in college. Um, and my kids, you know, are normal. Well, they're not that normal, but they're healthy growing kids. So anyway, I, I cook meals with multiple macronutrients for my family and then i eat the green vegetables and the animal products and leave the starches so we get these boxes delivered i don't know if you have these in the uk where they're you know meals that all the ingredients are put together and you get the you know so you, it takes 20 or 30 minutes to just knock it together the meals and, yeah. and cut everything up and it's kind of exotic and it's better than i could make normally and i'll make those and do the cooking and then I'll eat, you know, I'll just won't eat the starch. You know what? You said pork rinds there. It's even worse in this country. We call them pork scratchings. What a horrible term that is. So, mate, what's the Mexican expression instead? Chicharrones. Chicharrones. I'm going to go for that yeah. in future. Can I have some chicharrones? Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds pork perfectly please. acceptable. <laughs> yeah, there's various, um, there's another name for them here too, because you can get them with the higher fat. Anyway, they, um, Again, I suspect, yeah, I was brainwashed just like everyone else before I started my research 20 years ago, and I never entirely lost it, so I can't believe this is a healthy way to eat, but I seem healthy. Um, you know, I'm at the same, I've been as high as, you know, 120, 118 kilos, and now I'm down below 100, which is my healthy wow. weight for me, um, what I weighed when I was stupid and boxed uh amateur in my early 20s uh not the smartest thing i ever did in retrospect but yeah. um when i can remember doing it <laughs> it's gone so, by now yeah it's yeah. all lost in concussion what'd you say your name was again <laughs> <laughs> robert lustig uh okay yeah. so let's move on i've got another question here from gail uh, and I know Gail Kortler, she came on the show previously. She lives in Germany. And uh, she said um, she would like some advice for those who are doing a lifetime of keto. She says there seems to be a lot written for those who are beginning, but actually not, not those who want to maintain um, you know, their weight or whatever. Is there anything you can tell Gail in that case? And as somebody who's done this for a long, long time, do you find there's any maintenance things that you need to think about? Or Yeah, well, actually, that's uh, by the case for keto. Well, they 
Um, that wasn't shameful at all, was it? <laughs> you, know, the, uh, you know, a lot of it is about self-experimenting. That's one of the points I get across. As you go along, uh, things change. You gain a little weight or you lose a little weight or develop some health problem. And it's, you know, issue. And you're always asking the question, could this be diet related? Um, I mentioned I gave up nuts uh, two years ago. So I started developing a rash. Uh, I had no idea what caused it. It was annoying. It wasn't particularly visible, but I knew it was there. And um, it was worse at night than the daytime. Mm. So I thought if it's getting worse during the day, maybe it must, might be something I'm doing during the day. So maybe it's related to something I'm eating. So maybe I'll do a elimination diet and thing and see if I can figure out what it was. So I gave up, you know, eggs and nothing happened. Then I stopped eating bacon and nothing happened. And um, eventually I got to nuts and I thought maybe it's got something to do with the fat content in the nuts. I was eating an awful lot of almonds every day. So I switched, that was my snack between lunch and dinner. So I switched the almonds to macadamia nuts, which are, in my understanding, it's got a higher saturated fat content and that didn't make any effect. So then I gave up the nuts entirely and switched to pork rinds and it, the rash went away. Yeah, excellent. So, and I lost about yeah. five pounds, which I do not understand at oh. all. Wow, wow. But it's so now I don't eat nuts anymore. And when I do eat nuts, the rash comes back. So I have pretty good evidence yeah. that the nuts, for whatever reason, are causal. I miss nuts. It's easier to tell people you eat almonds for a snack than pork rinds or pork scratchings or even chicharrones. But um, so, but anyway, that's that's how I think. And one of the things I'm doing in this book, because I've been thinking about it for 20 years, is sort of talk through that kind of um, methodology. And I also, in this book, I interviewed over 120 physicians, including quite a few in the UK. And uh, so I got how they think about it, so I could then communicate their thinking and and on mass about you know how to keep doing this and make it work for you and and you know, sustain the health you feel in these diets. I don't think of it as sustaining a diet or a way of eating. I think of it as sustaining the health that I've gotten from eating this way. Love that. That's that's empowering, isn't it? I love that yeah. answer. Okay, I've just got a few more. Um, Ollie Lester, um, who, by the way, we do group fast together in our, in our um, Facebook group. So we do once, one a quarter more or less. We call ourselves the wolf pack because we're macho like that. And uh, basically we go from like either 20 hours to five days, whatever level you want to start at. If it's something you want a bit of support, we do a zoom call and everything. And I know most of these people from doing our fast. So these are friends really, not just listeners. Ollie's question was kind of answered already, but thank you Ollie for that question anyway, about do you get much backlash? And it sounds like you don't in particular, uh, don't want to bring up any sore points again for you though. Um, but Walter's got a really good question. Here's in the States. He said, in the case for keto, he talks about abstinence from carbs in the same way people with substance uh, use disorders strive to remain abstinent from substances. I'd like to know more about this. It seems many diets have cheat days that can turn into weeks, months, and years. This is ringing more and more true for me. Yeah, and this is um, one of my fears. So obviously the author's personal experience in a case like this is going to work into it. And I'm a, I'm a former smoker. I have a caffeine addiction that, uh, you know, I, I basically titrate my coffee. Uh, all, I'm thinking, Jesus, I've been on the phone with, uh, what's your name again? Dan. <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, doing this interview for an hour, I haven't had my afternoon cup of coffee yet. Can I, can I 
sustain consciousness long enough to wrap this up. Um, <laughs> the, no offense taken. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, and this is how the doctors I interviewed, this is how they thought about it. And this is what worries me about cheat days. It's what worries me about carb backfeeding. It's what worries me about any approach that allows you to eat more foods. It could be that, for instance, all of us could do perfectly fine eating a sweet potato every day, like the paleo folks say, or once a week, maybe even do better somehow, you know, our concept two rowing times will improve by one and a half percent if we add carbs to our diet. But for some of us, it's, and this is true of in general, I quote Gretchen Rubin to this effect, you know, there are moderators and abstainers. Some people can moderate and some people can't. Some people can have cheat days. And uh, so let's say my, if my cheat day is Friday, um, what worries me is that I would be looking forward to Friday all week long. And I know this from my cigarette smoking habit. When I tried to keep my smoking to two cigarettes a day, I was looking forward to that second cigarette from basically 20 minutes after I finished the first one. And so I think of that as moderating an addiction. And I don't like moderating an addiction. I don't think, or excuse me, not moderating, managing an addiction. And I don't think many people can do that successfully. Some people can. My wife, you know, my wife can order dessert at a restaurant back in the days of eating at restaurants and <laughs> have two bites and like it and push it aside. And I, I'm not like that. Um, yeah. So I suggest, you know, you have to find out what works for you. But what worries me about cheat days is exactly that. You start slipping down a slope. Um. And the next thing you know, you've gained 15 pounds and one cheat day is turned into one cheat afternoon. We've all been there. And those of us who used to smoke cigarettes, that's sort of the traditional, you know, some people just say, well, I quit. I went cold turkey. I never smoked again. But most of us try to moderate our cigarettes or cut it to one a day or allow ourselves to only smoke on Fridays or pick your poison. And we all, it, it continually fails until we finally found a way to go cold turkey that's just we could sustain yeah so totally agree. there's always a reason to eat carbs if you want to make one isn't there you know like christmas yeah, oh, absolutely uh you know or it's my birthday or it's whatever the reason and unfortunately it's never a cheat day it is longer for me as well i agree so know yourself is really important though isn't it um the other okay. piece of advice that i found so helpful in this book um came from uh physician in, in Virginia who's, you know, this a lot of this is about practicing, getting good at it. You wouldn't expect to get good at anything without practice. Mm -hmm. I said to my basketball obsessed son the other day who practices piano five minutes a day, three days a week. I said, how good do you think you'd be in basketball if you practice basketball five minutes a day, three days a week? Mm -hmm. um, like, do you think you could dribble? And maybe we should, uh, and he said his comment was, yeah, well, no, that's a good point, Dad, but I like playing basketball. Um, anyway. <laughs> true point. Very true, I'm sure. <laughs> the, um, you know, a lot of it is, is, is first you learn how to do it and learn why to do it and learn sort of the theory behind you doing what you're doing. And then it's about, you know, the more you do it, the more you practice, the better you get. So for me, 
like I can eat my chicken salad with cut up grapes in it because I'm pretty confident that if I start to gain weight, I'll know and I'll be able to identify it's the grapes in the chicken salad and they're a problem and stop eating this chicken salad and buy somebody else chicken salad. There's multiple choices in my Oakland, Berkeley neighborhood. Um, I also didn't have a family history of obesity or heart disease. So I am pretty confident at this point after 20 years that I can manage my own weight and eating habits. And so I know when I can cheat and I know that if I cheat, it's okay because I don't have an I won't have an opportunity to cheat again on a food like that. Yeah, you know, one yeah. of the logic is never have basically carbs or sweets you like in the house um, because if it's in the house, if you buy it, you're going to eat it. So I don't buy it. There, there are even carb, uh, low carb friendly snacks that I think are delicious or just the just a touch of sweetness so they satisfy that sweet tooth without being the kind of horrible sweetness that everybody else seems to tolerate now. <laughs> but I won't, I don't buy them because if they're in the house, I'm going to eat them and I'm going to think about them all day long. And yeah. I don't miss them if they're not in the house. So I'm healthier if I don't eat them. It's just a lot of it is practice and understanding your own body and knowing how to experiment and knowing if, like, if you can't moderate. Like if you need a cheat day to do this, you might be the kind of person who would benefit from not having a cheat day. Yes, that's true, and, isn't it? You know, yeah. seeing how it feels, go a couple months without cheating yeah. and see if you really miss those foods. Yeah, and one cheat day has got a big impact. If you had a cheat day in your marriage, you'd certainly find out it's more than more hassle than it's worth than just one day, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's got a massive knock-on effect. Final question for you, Mr. Torbs, and this is from Mark. Um, he said, could you ask him top tips for reducing fasting blood sugar as it's still a concern seeing raised, raised numbers when eating a low carb and keto diet? Uh, he's not, he's not a qualified quack, by the way. Just remember that, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, actually, the, and I don't know what the answer is. So that's, that's an interesting question. I had recently got a um, CGM. Oh, I'm, wearing, I'm, wearing that, I'm wearing that right now, the Freestyle Lead yeah. Libra. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, and I, I'm quite chuffed with my results. I'm going to show you this, Gary. Um, it's been it's been very interesting. In fact, how boring my results have been, apart from a little experiment where effectively nothing is happening on my screen. I don't know if you can see that, um, but my screen effectively is just a blank, uh, no result change. It's just flatlining pretty much, which is quite nice to realize there's no big roller coaster ups and downs, I suppose. Yeah, and this is all, this is kind of new science. So I don't quite know what to make of it. Um, the, uh, you know, does it really matter that, like, let's say your blood sugar goes up to 130 after a meal, after an afternoon, but you still feel good. I mean, is it really shortening your life by that much? You know, there are people who say anytime it's elevated, it's doing damage, but how much damage is it? cutting two weeks off your life or two years or 10 years or not at all. There's just, it's a lot of stuff we don't know. The more information you have, the more things you have to worry about. Yeah. Um, I've noticed recently the last few months that if I have eggs for lunch, remember I skipped breakfast, I get an almost nap-like response, just like I used to get 20 years ago when I had carbs for lunch. So is that the protein in the egg whites raising my blood sugar? 
uh, is this a problem? I don't get it from the chicken salad with the grapes. So mm. these are the kind of things, you know, on some level, it's just no, there are people out there who never want to get into this level of thought about the response they're having to their food. And I don't blame them. I get into it because I hate losing an hour of my life in the afternoon if I have to take a nap, which I never used to have to do. Yeah. I did it religiously on carbs. I used to say, I don't take naps. They take me. <laughs> Suddenly, the last three or four months, they're starting to take me again if I have eggs. Why is that? I don't want to give up eggs. Do I want so to know my blood sugar? Very interesting. Yeah. So it's sort of, and is time, there a way time to manage of day, it? Time of day, stress. There's all these other factors of blood sugar, actually, aren't there? Quite often. Yeah. And we're all under with COVID and yeah. there's... Stress. There's a, the world is different than it used to be. So hard to make sense of it. So the answer is it's an interesting question. I don't know the answer. Hopefully through crowdsourcing and other things, you know, there'll be things to try uh, where we will know the answer. Great. Well, I just want to say a massive thank you. That's, that's quite a marathon session there. And I really appreciate your time, Gary. Um, I just want to say I met Gary briefly, but very briefly in 2017. And my tip always is, Go to where the microphones are being put on people because then you're gonna they're gonna be there naturally at the beginning of a talk and you can chat to them. So that's my tip, and uh, and it's worked because now he's on my podcast. So there you go. Um, although now I guess there might be a crowd of people standing there, socially distanced at the next conference. So maybe it's gonna backfire. Although I would have done your podcast even had we not met in 2017. There you go. So that put me in my place. Thank you so much, Gary Torbs. That I really enjoyed that. And I hope there's a lot there for people to learn. And I would just say The Case for Keto, I'm halfway through it now. It's a superb book. Really is amazing. You can get it on Audible. You can buy it from uh, reputable, reputable uh, bookshops. You can uh, get, I guess, hardback, softback. I don't know. Lots of different versions of it. It's out there. So go and get yourself a copy and maybe buy it as a gift to somebody as well, because it would maybe change their lives like Keto changed most of ours. So thank you so much, Gary. Thank you, Dan, for having me. Hello, you still there? Dan here. I can see you're one of the keen ones because you're still listening. So got a very simple request. Please go and rate and review this podcast now on Apple if you haven't done so already. And I'll read it out next week on the show. So go and do that. Hear about your review next week. Everyone's a winner. Right, I'm going to shoot off now. Take care. Have a lovely week. See you next Friday. Bye.